Welcome to Monsters Among Us. I am your guide, Derek Hayes. Welcome to the final show of 2017, and boy do I have a great one lined up for you. But before we get started, I want to remind everyone that the Season 4 finale is fast approaching. And this time around, I'm going to re-explore the Hometown Legends segment. So, in order to pull this off, I need a few more submissions. So basically, if your town, city, county, or even state has an infamous haunting, creepy monster, or unexplained phenomenon, please consider calling in and sharing your hometown legend today. Basically, what I need is your description of your local paranormal activity. If you've investigated or know someone that has, that would be even more awesome. So to submit your story today, call the hotline at 1-888-608-NIGHT. That's 1-888-608-6444. And be sure to mention early in the call that this submission is for the Hometown Legends segment. I really look forward to hearing all of your calls. I have no fancy intro this week. Instead, let's just jump into the first call of the night. You may remember Kay from his prior call about Sterling Castle. Well, he's back with another creepy experience in the ancient land of Scotland. This is Kay's call. Hey there, Derek. This is Kay again. Uh, I just remembered a story I had back from when I was in Sterling, uh, Scotland. Um, so I was walking home from my friend's house or his flat, um, which is at the university there in, uh, in Sterling. And my house was across, or my flat again, was across the river uh, from his, uh, from the university. So I had to make a pretty circuitous route to get down to the bridge and get back over to uh, where I was. Um, and so we had had a couple drinks, but, um, by that time we had all sobered up and I started to head home. Um, and this is Scotland. So of course it was raining. Um, and I noticed, uh, cause there's a fairly wide or fairly long stretch of road. That's doesn't really have anything on it. Um, outside of just, you know, there's like a herd of cattle to your right and then not much else as you're walking back uh and this is around three o'clock in the morning um and as i'm walking just you know bundled up and trying to kind of just get back home and go to sleep i notice uh it's like the feeling of being watched but like exponentially bigger than any any time i'd had it before like it was like you're being watched turn around right now and look um, and so I did, and I noticed, at first I didn't really see anything, uh, just through the rain, but I noticed at the edge of, uh, the light from one of these street lights, there was this figure, and it was kind of just cloaked, uh, you know, with how the, how the rain kind of just makes everything kind of seem fuzzy, and it was just barely outside of the light, so I couldn't make out much of it. Um, and so I thought that was a bit creepy, um, but I figured maybe it was just somebody walking, but they, it was standing completely still. Um, so I continued on my way, um, and just kind of kept glancing back and I couldn't see it a couple of times. Uh, and then, uh, about like halfway back to my flat, I felt that same feeling again. 
And I turn around and there's the same figure, except for it's actually in the middle of the streetlights, uh, of one of the streetlights, like the light coming down from it, right under it. But it still has that shadowy form that I can't make out. Uh, just like I say, it's, I mean, it looks like it was wearing, like, I guess I would approximate wearing a cloak, but it's just super shadowy and fuzzy because of the, uh, because of the rain. Um, and so I started to get a little worried, um, and a bit paranoid. So I, you know, I grabbed my keys and I kind of put them into a fist pack to kind of, if anybody started something, I could, you know, try and go. I mean, I'm from Albuquerque, so I'm used to, you know, crazy people every once in a while. Um, but, you know, Sterling was like, their crime rate is so much lower. It's insane. Um, so I keep going and, uh, and every time I look, this thing's at a street light and it's just barely like, it's getting slightly closer to me each time, but it's still pretty far away. And so I'm starting, and again, every time I look, it's stopped. It's not moving at all. Um, so I pick up my speed and... Uh, again, I'm just, you know, like, okay, you know, if this is some crazy guy, I can get him or something like that. But just the way that it was shrouded, I mean, like, because I had seen somebody else walking earlier, and, like, they were kind of hard to make out, but they, I mean, at the same distance, I could see, like, you know, what they were wearing, what they looked like, but this figure, I couldn't see anything, even when it was completely illuminated. Um, and so... Eventually, I get over to the bridge, which is this old stone bridge uh, that crosses over the River Forth. Um, very old uh, stone walkway. And so I start crossing over. And then again, I get that feeling one last time to look around. And I look back and I see this figure. And it's standing right at the base of the bridge. Um, and I can feel that it's looking at me. Um, but I... And, and like I kind of stared at it for a little bit and then I kind of backed away and went back um, and I was figuring if this was a person and they were planning on doing something sketchy they would follow me over the bridge um, I mean I mean if they, even if they weren't planning on doing anything sketchy they would follow me over the bridge but uh, underneath or after the bridge there's a small tunnel um, you know underground footpath that would be ideal for if somebody was planning on doing something if it was a person you know, who was planning on attacking me or something like that, that would be where they would go. And if, and if they were trying to get over the river, I mean, there was a uh, road bridge there, but there was no other, uh, but the, like this, the, the old stone bridge was the one that people used to cross uh, on foot. Um, and so, so yeah, so I get over and I look back and I see the figure kind of still, uh, still at the base of the bridge and it, seems like it's just not coming on um and i and so that's the main thing that and the fact that i couldn't really see anything of it um even though like i mean even considering the shadow and the rain i mean i could still make out the shape but i couldn't make anything else out outside of the vague silhouette um and and so that that and the fact that it didn't come over the bridge um, makes me think of some, that it was something supernatural because it stayed there watching me as I left, but it never, never touched set foot on the bridge. Um, and so I know a lot of, a lot of background with like spirits and you know other, uh, like supernatural entities is that they don't cross running water. And so I'm wondering if that might be, you know, what saved me, I guess, because every time that I looked back, this thing was getting closer and closer. But when I got to the bridge, it, it had stopped completely. So yeah, so that's a that's a story. I mean, I I definitely found it really creepy. I definitely, when I got back to my flat, I locked all the doors and shut down the windows and kind of stayed up a little while and watching everything. But yeah, so so yeah, so that's it. Um, love the show. Uh, actually, going to leave a review right now. And yeah, thanks very much for it. Bye. Thank you, Kay. My first thoughts here were that Kay fell victim to either a coincidence or someone decided to play a prank on him. The latter could explain why the figure decided to stop at the bridge. Perhaps it was simply too much effort to follow him across a rainy trestle. 
but I can't help but draw a comparison to a past caller we had from South Carolina. That caller described an encounter with a mysterious dark figure watching him from a cemetery. That caller described the same eerie feeling that Kay did. Is there a correlation, or is it simply a coincidence? One last thing I should touch on is Kay's mention of spirits not being able to cross moving water. I too have heard this trope, and I am perplexed by its origins. Some suggest the rule originated from the old fairy tales, including those of the Grimm brothers. But there is one source I remember as a child that you may also recognize. Now if you doubt this tale is so, I met that spook a year ago. Now I didn't stop for a second look, but I made for the bridge that spans the brook. Because once you cross the bridge, my friends, the ghost is through. His power ends. That's Brom Bones from Disney's The Adventures of Ichabod and Mr. Toad. Thank you, Kay, and especially thank you for submitting your review. You have no idea how big of a help that actually is. Our next call involves a few voices that seem to come out of nowhere. This is Casey's call from Louisiana. Hey, this is Casey from Louisiana. Um, I actually had a weird experience last night. Um, always listen to your podcast um, as a driver around. I'm a wait, um, delivery driver. Um, last night, I was actually coming home from my niece's band concert. Uh, clear night, kind of cold. Um, had my oldest niece in the car. She's 21. Um, we were stopped at a red light. And no music on, nothing like that. There was actually a police car um, stopped in, um, that had pulled someone over in a um, parking lot just to the right of us. And as we were talking, um, I heard some, I heard a voice, sounded like um, it came over the loudspeaker from the cop. And as soon as that happened, I started looking around, seeing why. Um, not even a couple of seconds later in front of us, a car ran into the back of another car. Um, it was really weird and I actually asked my niece right after, Hey, did you hear something right before that crash? And she's like, no, I didn't hear anything. And I swear, I thought it was a cell phone maybe going off. Neither one of our cell phones had gone off. Um, she didn't hear it. So I'm pretty sure it wasn't the cop. Uh, cop car that was not far from us because um, she was actually closer to it than I am or was um, so pretty sure it wasn't that and um, yeah it was just really weird it was like I was on alert right before the crash happened um, and tonight actually I'm driving working again and um was pulling up to someone's house and my GPS told me to turn right and I turned right turned into the driveway and right after it went off I heard right again um my GPS doesn't actually say it twice um if anything it would have said you've reached your destination but I heard right right after my GPS said it um kind of freaked me out because it is dark already um I drive all the time by myself um again it's another clear cold night um it's just really weird i've never had anything like quite like that happen to me um i've had quite a few other things happen but i'll come back another time thanks thank you casey if we were thinking logically i think our first thought would be that people simply zone out i can't tell you how many times i've driven a stretch of road only to realize i completely zoned out for it or how many times someone has said something to me that I wasn't fully paying attention to, only to claim those words as my own later on. The bottom line is that this sort of thing happens all the time, and could easily explain how a disembodied voice could seemingly appear out of nowhere. That said, I was talking to my dad recently, whom just started listening to the show. Hi, Dad. And he was telling me about some strange encounters that happened to him over the years. One such story involved a disembodied voice. You see, his entire family was on vacation in Casper, Wyoming, but he stayed home due to a wrestling tournament. Well, he was putting his clothes in the washing machine, and just as he began pouring the bleach over his bell-bottoms, 
he heard a voice from behind him say, That's not right. Finding no source to the message, he went back to work on his laundry. As it turns out, the voice was right. He'd ruined his clothes. But his story leaves us with the same question that Casey's does. Was it his imagination? A result of zoning out? Or perhaps a warning from beyond? Thank you again, Casey, for sharing your tale. Before I move on any further, I'd like to reach out to Elisa, who called in last week with a strange person sighting in Florida. I've had several people reach out to me, hoping to get in touch with you regarding your sightings. So if that's something you're interested in, please shoot me an email at monstersamonguspodcast at gmail.com, and I'll set you up. Our next call seems to bridge two completely different worlds. This is Sarah's call from Utah. Hi, my name is Sarah. I'm calling from Utah. Um, On a recent episode, you mentioned that you'd never heard of small shadow people before, and you were wondering if other people had had small shadow people experiences. And I had. Um, This was about 2010. I was... Uh, Working in an office, the the way my job worked, I was the last person to leave from my department at night. And um, this would have been early winter, late fall, sometime. um, So it was dark when I left. It had been about 6 o'clock when I left, and it was already dark. And anyway, I am sitting alone in my office. And I'm listening to a spooky podcast, if I'm going to be completely honest. Um, and I see movement out of my, the corner of my eye, and I turn, and I see these three figures that would have been about three feet tall, including a tall pointy hat, like a, a gnome hat. And um, they're running around. We had a, I worked in the printing department at this particular job, and we had a big printer that was always problematic and they're running around the printer and they look like they're going into the part of the printer that was always giving us problems and and I just kind of shook my head and I said okay well I'm freaking out I'm scaring myself because I'm listening to this scary podcast so I turned it off I turned on music I finished my shift and just went on my you know with with my regular routine uh 45 minutes later however long it was, um, when my shift was over, I got up to leave and, you know, locked everything up. And as I was walking up the building, the the owner of the company's wife was coming in the door. And, you know, I said hello. And, and, you know, as I turned to go to my car, I see these same three figures are similar, the same kind of figures that are running around her truck, and they go into, they run up into her, her truck engine. And the only thing I can think of is that they're gremlins. That they, these are like shadow gremlins. And I was trying to figure out what to do. I didn't have keys to get back in the building. Um, I had the the owner's phone number, but I really couldn't think of a way to call and say, "Hey, I think there are gremlins in your truck." without getting fired, so finally I just gave up and went home. Um, I did keep an eye out for that truck to see if it showed up with like a big dent in the fender or something. Um, I don't know if there's ever any problems with that. Um, eventually we did get rid of the printer um, and replaced it. I've never seen those little shadow things since. Um, like I said, they're about three feet tall. It looked like they were wearing a tall hat a tall pointy hat that was included in that three feet. Uh, they were wearing, and it looked like they were wearing these long, oversized coats. Uh, that's just really the only way I can I can think of to describe them. And and the only thing, the only identity I can give to them is gremlins because it looked to me like they were attacking this part of the printer that was always giving us trouble, and they were attacking the boss's wife truck's engine. So anyway, that's my little shadow people story, and thank you for giving me the time to share it. Thanks, Sarah. The details of this call are interesting in that it seems to be a mixture between shadow people and some sort of humanoid creatures. Stories about shadow people are not new to this podcast, 
In fact, I'd say that at least 50% of the episodes involve some sort of Shadow Man story. But what is strange is the description of said entities. You often hear reports of a Hat Man shadow entity, a shadowy figure donning a wide-brimmed hat. But Sarah reports that these specters wore clothing that seemed to go beyond your typical shadow person. It almost seems as though she'd seen a shadow of a gnome or an elf. Of course, she mentioned mechanical failure, which suggests another creature altogether. I'll let YouTube user Truly Horrific explain exactly what gremlins are. You may have heard of gremlins from the 1984 Hollywood movie. Today, we may think of them as mythical creatures that were created and adapted on screen. But did you know that gremlins may, in fact, be real? Back in World War II, many pilots and aircraft members blamed gremlins to have caused their aircrafts to fail. From strange and mysterious beings that were on flights to equipment failures, gremlins were cited for unexplained aircraft problems. They were described as miniature imps or gnomes that were no taller than about one foot tall. They would wear old clothing, like that of Robin Hood, but looked almost demonic with devilish eyes and beast-like snout, pointy ears, and horns. Their bodies would be covered in scales, with their skin all grey and rubbery. Their name derives from Gremion, or to vex, and love to destroy aircrafts. Because of the size of these gremlins, they could easily remove bolts and screws to maliciously rip apart the aircraft. They caused malfunctions in aircrafts while the pilot was on board, and the very first documented gremlin was dated back in the late 1910s. The royal forces called these creatures malicious sprites, and slowly they became more and more popular. Moreover, many pilots started stepping out of the shadows to claim that they saw small creatures on their planes messing with the plane's gears, and things would go wrong shortly after. Rare occurrences like electrical failure or broken communications started popping up. Soon enough, they were reported frequently to higher ranking officers. As the war progressed, many forces too agreed that there were strange things going on with their aircrafts. For example, when the Americans arrived to help out with the war, they experienced similar disturbing problems with their aircrafts. They described gremlins in the same form and the same way as the British did. However, gremlins are not always trying to harm you. One of the most well-known stories revolves around the aviator called Charles Lindbergh. Back in 1927, he began a non-stop journey to Paris when he was struck by multiple gremlins on top of his aircraft. They spoke to him in navigational terms, thus showing their knowledge in aircraft mechanics. And instead of destroying his aircraft, they helped him get across the seas from New York to Paris safely. Could gremlins have their own unique personalities like us humans? Why would they destroy aircrafts during the World War but help Charles Lindbergh travel safely? Or could they all just be a myth? We know them today mainly because of the author Ronald Dahl had his own misfortunes of running into gremlins back in 1942. His plane had mysteriously failed on him while in flight and he crash landed in the Libyan or western desert of Egypt. When the war ended, he wrote a novel about his experience, and slowly his novel on gremlins soon became published, and the popularity of gremlins rose. There are numerous accounts of gremlins messing around with aircrafts and pilots, especially during World War II. Could this be because of human conflict, and that gremlins are trying to stop war from above land? Why did the number of sightings go down as the war stopped? We know that the gremlins helped Charles Lindbergh during his flight, but completely wrecked the aircrafts during the war, so this could be a possibility. Also, why are there no accounts of gremlins on ground? They could not have simply vanished into thin air, or can they? There are many questions that are mysterious, yet have no answers. Do you believe in gremlins? Of course, you can find a link to that video and all others used in this episode in the show notes on the website. I think a few of the theories get a little far-fetched near the end of this particular video, but I do find the subject matter fascinating. Thank you again, Sarah, for taking the time to share your experiences. Our next submission is a written one. This is Thomas's story from Virginia. Hi, Derek. 
I was listening to your most recent episode at work, and toward the end, you mentioned burning through your stories at a fast rate. I know I've had a few strange encounters from time to time, so I wanted to share in hopes of keeping the show moving forward. I have only discovered your podcast this week, and like Amber in North Carolina, I've binged. I've done a few other searches for podcasts of the same nature, but they're not quite the same. Unbelievably, some even support political parties with their advertisements. I enjoy the paranormal partly because it gets me away from the humdrum of daily life. I don't want politics in my UFOs, ghosts, and cryptid stories. Needless to say, your show has me hooked. I appreciate your willingness to offer skeptical viewpoints as possible explanations. All of that being said, I'll get to my story. I lived with my family in Alexandria, Virginia until I was seven. I remember two instances in the same apartment complex in which I had creepy encounters that stuck with me to this day. I don't remember in what order they happened, so I'll start with the one that bothered me the most. During the day, I would stay with a babysitter that lived a few doors down from us. I was about five years old. Missy was a younger woman in her mid to late 20s with a daughter and two nieces of her own that she would watch as well. During my nap time, she would put me in her daughter's room and shut the door. During one of my naps, I remember not being able to sleep, but not wanting to get scolded for not napping, I simply stayed in bed. There was a closet in the room with the kind of doors that would slide along a track and collapse to either side when you opened them. I remember taking a deep breath. From the closet, just beyond the doors, something mimicked my breath. When I looked toward the doors, I remember a raspy voice saying, Boogeyman. Terrified that something would come out of the closet, I slowly slid myself out of the bed and left the room. I immediately went to my babysitter and told her someone was in the room. I refused to go back. I sat down on the floor next to the couch and pulled my knees up to show my reluctance. Now I'm not sure if the next encounter took place before or after the first. I do know it was in the same apartment complex, only this time it was in my own home. Being a two-bedroom apartment, I shared a room with my baby brother, who at this point still slept in a crib. I remember in the middle of the night when everyone was sleeping, rolling over and looking at my brother's crib. I saw a shadow standing next to his crib with what looked like an artist's palette resting in one hand and the other hand extended as if it were preparing to reach into the crib. My brother began to cry and I could hear my dad down the hall getting out of bed. I could hear my dad's footsteps coming down the hall and just prior to him reaching the room, the shadow figure smoothly descended into the floor. I have no recollection of anything happening afterwards in our remaining time there. We moved south to Virginia Beach not long after and that is where I grew up. These two memories stuck in my mind as if they happened yesterday. My occurrence with the closet bothered me so much that for years I removed the closet doors from their hinges anywhere that I lived. For a period of time as a teenager, I slept with the lights on. I always felt as if there was a presence in my bedroom. As I've gotten older, I've become more skeptical in my approach to paranormal stories, though I do enjoy them immensely. When it comes to my own personal beliefs in life, I subscribe only to science. I believe that quote-unquote presence was my overactive imagination. However, now that I have my own baby daughter, I can't help but feel a small twinge of unease at the possibility of something similar happening in her bedroom. Not much substance to my stories in comparison to some of the others, but I hope maybe they can keep the show going. It's actually renewed my interest in keeping up with the paranormal side of the world, especially UFOs. Keep up the great work, I'll be dropping by the website this weekend to pick up a beer koozie and to make my donation. Thomas in Winchester, Virginia. Thank you, Thomas, and thank you for the kind words about the show. I'm glad you're enjoying it. I often wonder if our minds have the ability to scare us on purpose. What I mean by that is this. Sometimes we seem to imagine the scariest possible outcome to a situation only to have it come true. Take Thomas's boogeyman story, for example. He was young. The scariest thing to him at the time was most likely the boogeyman. So as he's staring into the void of this closet, does his mind conjure up the voice, bringing life to the very thing that he fears? Thomas's story rings so familiar to me, yet I can't seem to come up with another example of this, though I swear I've experienced something similar or possibly heard a similar story. Until I find those examples, I'm left scratching my head. This is yet another occurrence I'd like to circle back on at a later date. Thank you again, Thomas, and don't forget to put that order in for that koozie. I have a small stack of them right here just dying to keep a beer cold. 
Our next story is one I had a difficult time playing. Although the circumstances are much different between our caller's cousin and my brother's, the similarities are great enough that it caused me discomfort to listen to the call. That said, what unfolds is too amazing not to share. So without further ado, this is Corey's call. Hi, Derek. Um, I just wanted to call in today and share a couple of stories in regards to a cousin of mine. Um, my name's Corey. Um, I really don't want to give any more information than that, just to maintain a little bit of privacy. But this cousin was shot and killed by the police uh, several years ago. And um, at least when we were younger, we were really close. We were more like brother and sister than cousins. And his death was a shock, but not exactly a surprise. He had gone into a lot of a lot of trouble um, the years prior to his death. Um, anyway, this was about first of all in January. Um, it was just after his funeral, and I was out walking my dogs, and my cousin had a very distinctive voice, and I heard him. I, I was thinking about him as I was out walking the dogs and I heard him I heard a voice calling Corey, Corey, Corey and I was looking around and I couldn't see anybody Uh, it was January, there there were no leaves on the trees Uh, it was clear um, and there was was nobody around Um, eventually I heard a woman answer who wasn't me Um, And then I heard the man speaking again, and it didn't sound anything like my cousin. And I honestly don't know if he was saying Corey, maybe he was saying Lori or Tori or Rory or some other Ori name. I don't know. Um, But I just feel like that little bit of of confirmation was him saying that he was okay, that I didn't need to worry about him. Uh, Anyway, about a year later, when this happened, this next story happened, um, I heard about it maybe six months later. Um, for me, my part in it, I was driving to visit my parents, and I was going to the little teeny tiny village where my cousin's parents, my aunt and uncle, live. Um, and as, as I was driving into town, I started to have a panic attack. So instead of continuing on another 30 or 40 miles to my parents' house, I went to my aunt's house and called my mom to have her come pick me up. And while I was waiting, my aunt told me the story. She said that she'd received a phone call from a woman who worked at the local library. And she saw, the woman said in her dream, she saw the name Karen, Karen, Karen. That's not a real name, but I'm, again, just trying to make it a little more private. But it's, I was spelled in kind of a strange way. And this woman didn't know anybody whose name was spelled that way. Anybody with the name Karen. Um, But she, like I said, she worked at the library. She went in to work and was going through something on the computer. And she came across my aunt's name and she was looking at it. And she said, is this the woman who lost her son? And the other librarians agreed. The other workers at the library said, yeah, that's that's who it is. And so this woman called my aunt up and told her about the dream that she had seen her name being written over and over again on a piece of paper and that she had heard a voice saying tell Karen that I'm okay and do not watch the video and this woman had no idea what what that meant but my aunt did um, because my cousin was killed by the police his death was captured on body with body cam footage and it was released to the public and this is about a year after his death and my aunt was thinking about watching the video again um, when it first happened she had seen it but she was just so in such numb so numb and in so much shock that it hadn't really sunk in and she was considering watching it again and then she got this phone call from basically a complete stranger telling her not to watch this deal um, just from what I know about my cousin, I know that if there is something that happens beyond this life, that he will absolutely be out there looking after his family. His family was such a big part of his life. Um, 
and yeah, it's just, I mean, there are a couple of little stories, maybe they don't mean anything, maybe it's just wishful thinking from a family that's in grief, but when they happened, uh, they sure did mean a lot to both me and to my aunt. Anyway, thank you for your show. Uh, I might call in later with some more stories. Bye-bye. Thank you, Corey. The way I see it is this. There are basically three things this could possibly be. One is a huge coincidence, or trick of the years. You thought you heard something, or you did hear it, but it was, as I said, a coincidence. The second is a prank or a joke. Hopefully there's no one out there sick enough to think something like this would be funny. So that leaves us with the third and final possibility. Contact from beyond. As someone who's recently lost a loved one, I certainly hope that the latter is the real explanation. It definitely seems just as likely as the other two rational suggestions. Thank you again, Corey, for sharing this call. I could tell it was difficult to do so. Okay, before we launch into our next experience, I have a bit of an announcement to make regarding the future of this show. And don't worry, it's nothing bad. As some of you may know, producing a podcast is very time-consuming. I spend roughly 40 hours a week producing the very show you are listening to now. I started this show nearly two years ago as a bit of a hobby. I had no idea that so many wonderful people would get involved. Now we have thousands of listeners from dozens of countries, and to be honest, the sky is the limit. However, I am left with one issue. I'm basically working a full-time job each week, and not only am I not getting paid for it, but it's actually costing me money in hosting fees, phone line fees, and equipment upkeep. In all honesty, the show cost me nearly 100 bucks a month to produce, all said and done. While the donations I receive are a huge help, and I'm very, very grateful for those, they're simply not enough. Nor is the merchandise you can find in the show's shop. Which leads me to this. I've been toying with the idea of bringing on sponsors, but the idea of pitching mattresses, stamps, and prepared meals makes me a bit nauseous. So I'm proposing something a bit different. At this stage, I'm trying to judge interest in a new paid program that will give you two additional shows per month for only a dollar each. Basically, you'll be able to subscribe to a paid content, receiving two additional shows on top of the four free monthly episodes for only a dollar an episode. The only way this plan will work is numbers. I need a certain amount of people to sign up in order to make this worthwhile. Otherwise, I'm just adding to the workload. So here is where you come in. If this is something you're interested in, please go to the following website and fill out the short survey on the page and hit submit. That site is www.monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash beyond. I will also post links to this page on Facebook and, of course, in the show notes. By filling out the survey, you are not obligating yourself to purchase anything. I'm simply trying to gauge interest in this little venture. A venture that might put a few bucks in my pocket, or at the very least, let me break even, all the while delivering two additional shows to you per month. It's a win-win in my book. So if this is something you can get behind, please go to www.monstersamonguspodcast.com forward slash beyond and fill out the four-part survey. it only take you about 30 seconds. Thank you in advance, and now back to the show. Up next is a caller we heard from early in the season. Well, Alyssa is back with more details concerning the haunting of her family home. Hi, Derek. My name is Alyssa. I had called in earlier about um, some footprints or some footsteps that I had heard coming down the hall that really freaked me out. And, um, well, I told my dad um, that I had called in, you know, after talking to you or leaving my story, it kind of like brought back a bunch of memories. And so I had mentioned it to my dad and I mentioned it to my sister and my grandpa. And after talking, um, we we kind of came together and realized that there was maybe a little bit more to the story than just that one incident. Um, my dad lives, oh, I guess the story took place in Texas. Right now I live in Oklahoma. But I asked him to look up the, um, look up the address and see if he could drive by. And, you know, we tried to do some research and 
see if anything mysterious had happened in the house before, or if there was any history on the house. And it was a pretty normal background. Couldn't find anything special about it. But um, we did find um, paperwork on a fire that happened. And I guess I had mostly blocked it out of my memory, but our house did catch fire while we lived there. We ended up having to have the whole house uh, rebuilt, pretty much, because everything just got completely destroyed. And we uh, we lost our cats that I had talked about in that fire, but we're not sure if it's related or not, but we had kind of talked about it, and I guess that had happened only a week after I had my experience, and I talked to my grandpa and my mom kind of behind our back a couple of days before the house got fire had actually called our priest from our local church and asked him to come to the house and do a smudging. I don't know. It's like a type of exorcism where they burn sage in the house to try and get rid of any evil spirits or spirits that are there. And my mom had been telling my grandpa that she kept feeling like handprints on or not handprints, but like hands touching her, little hands touching her. She kept having dreams about like a little boy or something. And she never really told us about it, probably because she didn't really want to freak us out or, you know, encourage us to be more scared of being at the house. Um, but it pushed her far enough to try and do that. And we had the house, I guess, catch fire not long after. And I guess it was such... It was such a surreal experience that I had kind of put it in the back of my mind. We all were like, oh, yeah, <laughs> we remember that. But it kind of, I don't know, I guess I should probably be a little more skeptical of it. They told us at first that, and this is coming from my mom, and she explained to me as a middle schooler. At first she told us that they couldn't really find a source of the fire, and then towards the end of it they just deduced that there was some sort of buildup in the dryer vent. So they claimed that the source of the fire was from um, extra lint getting into the vent and it overheating and sparking from that point and then just the fire carrying on through the house. Um, but my sister did say that she had some weird dreams in the house too. So I really don't remember much of living in the house. We lived there maybe for a year or so, and then I moved out after we had gotten moved back in, after they rebuilt everything. I moved in with my grandparents after that, and my grandparents are a little more sensitive to spirit stuff. They're very into, like, cryptozoological stuff, so they were pretty quick to say that it was a dangerous house, and there was probably good that we got out of there. Um, and then I think my mom moved out and got a new apartment maybe a year after I moved out. So, I don't know. It was just weird and interesting to talk to everybody about it and kind of, like, reminisce and kind of bring back everything that had happened. So it was kind of like a cherry on top. I don't know. But anyways, I just wanted to call and kind of close that off a little bit and explain a little more in there. Like I said, we couldn't find anything on the history of the house. Nothing super spooky. As far as we know, nobody died, but that's pretty much how that ended. But um, anyways, I love your show, and I hope to hear more episodes as you keep going. All right, thanks. Bye. Thank you, Alyssa. I gotta say, you did it right. You opened a line of communication about the activity that you experienced. That is a huge step toward understanding what is happening around you. In addition, researching the property is an excellent first step in uncovering buried secrets. Thank you again for the call, and I'm sorry to hear about your cats. What a tragic way to lose pets. Okay, hold on to your butts for this next one. This is Alan's call from Arizona. Uh, good afternoon, Derek. Uh, recently found your podcast and love the format. Um... The story I'd like to tell you about was when I was eight years old, so it should be back in right around 1981. Uh, my grandparents lived in a small town in southeastern Arizona called San Simone. My granddad worked on a ranch there, 
And in the summer times, me and my younger sister would stay for a couple of weeks uh, during the summer to basically just hang out with my grandparents. Well, it had been a particularly hot summer, and it was just as the monsoons were starting in Arizona. Uh, one premise was me and my sister had gotten into a fight earlier that day, and she had locked herself in the spare bedroom where we were sleeping. So I was stuck sleeping outside in the living room with my granddad. My granddad, Jake, was pretty much an old cowboy, and uh, at night he would sleep with all the windows open in a single wide trailer that they stayed in. Earlier that day, I had gone fishing and had caught a bunch of small bluegill and had them in a bucket outside and had them sitting under the old swamp cooler where the water leaked into it. Uh, It was early in the morning, I want to say three or four, and I heard something scramble underneath the trailer, uh, kind of scaring me, waking me up. I was looking around. Well, I could hear something uh, splashing around in the bucket that was outside. And as I looked out through the open window, I saw a small figure sitting underneath of the swamp cooler uh, frame. And it kind of freaked me out, so I dropped back down. And then as time went on, I could hear like a chewing sound. And finally, I got enough courage, and I went back to the window and looked down again and it was a small figure like I said bald head wearing like an animal fur wrapped around its waist and it was eating the fish out of the bucket only reason I could see it it was fairly clear a few clouds thunder and lightning off in the distance well, there was a uh, sh- uh, shop about a hundred yards away from the trailer that had a outside light and it had just enough light to illuminate the side of where we're at well as it looked up it saw me and then just like in a nonchalant way put one finger to its lips and did a shhing sound well that freaked me out I fell down on the ground crawled in the corner and stayed awake until the next morning the next morning I threw a fit to be taken back home with my sister and that was the last time we spent a summer with my grandparents in San Simone uh, love your show. Love the format. Uh, I've got a bunch more stories, and I will be calling in again. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye. Thanks, Alan. You may remember Alan from a few weeks ago when he called in regarding a strange striped man running alongside his car. Typically, when I get multiple stories from a single caller, I like to stretch them out. But I loved both stories so much, I simply couldn't wait. As for the call, what the hell? I don't even know where to begin with this one. You hear so many reports of forest folk, gnomes, trolls, or elves, whatever you want to call them. I've even touched on a few of those reports in a recent episode. But what are these things? It hurts my brain to try to wrap my head around it. One observation I feel should be made is the fact that the creature shushed Alan. Which means it not only has intelligence, but also clearly has some sort of language. In fact, the more I think about that detail, the more it throws a wrench into my theories. Let's look at it this way. If I were to fly to the Amazon, find a tribe with limited contact to the outside world, and give them the shush gesture, would it translate? Would they get the meaning? If they do not, that speaks volumes to either the abilities of this creature or the claims of the story. Either way, what an amazing story. Thank you again, Alan, for taking the time to share it. Our next and final call is yet another installment in the Mirrored Men saga. But before we launch into that, the normal announcements. From now until the new year, the December Cryptid Crate is on sale. You can get nearly $75 worth of cryptid merchandise for a temporary low, low price of $39.95, while supplies last. Just visit www.cryptidcrate.etsy.com. That's E-T-S-Y or follow the link in the show notes. You guys are killing it with these reviews. I'm averaging two a day, and although that doesn't sound like much, it's a huge, huge help. But let's bump that up to three, four, or even five a day. Leave your review now. Five stars and a sentence or two about why you like the show would help out immensely. Oh, 
And to those few that are complaining about my cadence, just stop. That's how I talk and there's nothing I can do to change that. Focus on the content or simply unsubscribe. But complaining isn't going to help. Sorry, not sorry. Like the show on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also be sure to join the Facebook fan group, which can be found by searching Monsters Among Us Podcast fan page. Ever since Addy came on board, that page has been rocking. So stop by, say hi, and engage for some fun discourse. And lastly, I still have a ton of koozies available. And if you're wanting a shirt, but your size is sold out, please, just reach out to me. I can have more printed if the interest is there. Oh, and lately I've been getting a lot of requests for stickers. So that's something I'm bringing to the table in the new year. So stay tuned for that. Okay, back to the program. A few weeks back, I received an email from listener Timothy, whom stumbled upon a strange report by a retired police officer back in the early 2000s, in which he seems to describe activity not unlike what's been reported for the infamous Mirrored Men. Here is that report presented by YouTube user Beyond Creepy. Shan Danny Castani, author of the books Eerie Tales 1 and 2, received a strange report in the early 2000s involving a police officer named Terrence. Now retired, Terrence felt it was time to tell his story of what he encountered one afternoon while out on patrol in the Australian outback. Terrence claims that at the time he was out perusing a remote area on his BMW R1150RT police bike, it was dusty and he decided to pull off on the first adjacent road and clean the collected dirt off his visor. The road was quiet and he noted that trees lined both sides of the road. He took a sip of water and proceeded to use the water to clean off his gear. As he looked around the isolated lane, he began to hear the faint sound of an engine roar. The burring sound was coming from the far end of the road. He slipped on his helmet and inched his bike forward. The roaring sound became louder. Ahead, near a bend, was a raised earth platform. He assumed it was reserved housing estate land. Although he couldn't see the source of the sound from the road level, a rising cloud of dust made it obvious that the sound was coming from the higher ground. Terence proceeded to stop his bike and make his way up the steep slope. He struggled to make the two-meter climb, using his hands to pull him over the edge of the slope. He glanced over and observed, about 50 meters away, an old black 1953 Chevrolet going around in circles. Terence tried to see if the driver was all right, wondering if he may have had a heart attack or had something that rendered him unconscious, but the sun's glare on the Chevy's windscreen and the red cloud of dust surrounding the car made it impossible. Concerned, Terence pulled himself over the slope and stood on the edge of the plateau. He could see everything. He didn't know why a car would be going in circles like that, and given where he was, he was certain the driver could see him and must have recognized that he was a cop. For whatever reason, the driver kept going in circles. Terence waved at the driver to get his attention, but the driver never stopped. I wonder if the driver has been shot and his foot remains weighted down on the accelerator pedal, or maybe some hoons are playing around with a stolen car, or maybe this, or maybe that. I forced myself to stop assuming and gather the courage to investigate. As Terence made his way toward the vehicle, he began to get a cold chill up his spine. He looked into the window, and occasionally when the glass was not reflecting the bright light of the sun, he was able to make out that there were two very large people with long hair inside sitting in the front seats. Given the length of the hair, Terence assumed that they might be females, but big ones. Terence approached the vehicle cautiously, getting to within 20 meters when the vehicle stopped. For some reason, Terence recalled that the sight of the stopped car frightened him, and he actually considered turning around and leaving. He didn't. Waiting until the dust settled, Terence was finally able to get a good look at the two people inside the car. He ordered them out of the vehicle, but they did not move. Terence began to grow angry and ordered them a second time to exit the vehicle. This time they did. As they stepped out, he could see them clearly. Their faces were expressionless. They stood easily seven feet tall. The strangest thing? They looked exactly alike. They were also both wearing sunglasses, although these were unlike anything Terence had ever seen before. I have never seen mirror glasses that shine like them. They vary in their colors, sometimes blue, sometimes red, sometimes a shade of green, and even reflect a peculiar sound. 
a machine-like ringing sound. What makes it strange is that the ringing only happens when I see the glare of the sun in the mirrored lenses. The sound seems to come out from my own ears. Terence became increasingly more frightened as the situation progressed. Though his training allowed him to maintain a straight face, he hadn't pulled his weapon yet, fearing that the two men would assume he was a threat. As they stared at each other, the two men suddenly sidestepped away from the Chevy so that they were now fully exposed. The weird thing to Terence was that when they stepped away from the vehicle, it was completely in sync, like he was watching a mirror image of the same person. Both men wore torn, mud-stained jeans held up by leather belts, and disheveled shirts neither tucked in nor out. Terence wondered if they were playing with him. Just then, the two men began to walk towards him, their arms at their sides. Terence ordered them to halt, but they didn't. They continued to advance in his direction. Feeling his life was in danger, Terence ordered them to stop and raise their hands. Even though they are not carrying weapons, I feel nervous, and I tremble with every step they take closer to me. Since they haven't stopped, I feel no other choice but to draw my weapon, and I do. As the two lanky figures get closer, moving in sync, Terence can see even clearer now how they appear to be mirror images of each other. They seem unfazed by the gun. Eventually, the two men stepped away from each other, moving away at angles as if to get around the officer. Since they were not carrying firearms, Terence allowed them to continue to walk apart and encircle him. They walked to within 20 meters of either side of him, eventually forming a straight line on either side of him. Terence became quite uncertain of what to do. If they both came at him, would he have time to defend himself, he wondered. The two men just kept walking, eventually turning their faces away from him as if he wasn't there. This angered Terence, who ordered them to stop. They did not. He even assumed that maybe they were deaf, which was why they were not responding to his commands. Terence watched as they continued to walk up the slope away from him. Then they did something so bizarre, it caused Terence to question if what he was seeing was real. They stopped right at the edge of the plateau. They are in coordination no matter what they do. Then their heads turn. Just the heads, not the bodies. I get ready to shout out, get on the ground, but they do something that shoots icy arrows up my spine. Their heads have turned as much as any human's head can turn, but they don't stop there. Their heads turn some more. They have now turned 180 degrees, but they still do not stop. Their heads have turned a complete circle 360 degrees. These men can't be humans, I scream in my head. The sight of this became too much for the officer who fell to his knees. My knees jellify and hit the ground. My face is numb and my jaw hangs loosely as my vision spirals. With absolute indifference to a nervous gun pointed at their backs, the spindly giants calmly walk down the slope and disappear behind the dirt horizon. Seeing them gone, I am able to breathe again. In the midst of the excitement, I had forgotten about the Chevy. Turning around, Terence was shocked to see that the Chevy was gone. It hadn't driven away on its own, nor was it buried in the sand. It was just gone. From there, things went off the rails. Terence remembered feeling an intense desire to vomit. He closed his eyes. When he opened them, it was now dark out. When he knelt down, it was still the afternoon. However, when he opened his eyes, seconds later, it was now nighttime. He was still in the kneeling position. God, how long have I been kneeling like this, he wondered. He eventually returned to his motorcycle and left the area. Fearing ridicule by his fellow officers, Terence never spoke of the bizarre incident. He waited until he was retired to tell author Castani about the experience. Thank you, Timothy, for bringing this story to my attention. Now, obviously, this is not your typical mirrored men encounter. And truth be told, it may not even be mirrored men related. But it is very difficult to ignore the similarities, especially when considering the fact that both figures looked identical, they moved in sync, and that the witness experienced missing time. All three are elements of what we now call a mirrored man experience. It should be noted that there are a few features to the story that seem to suggest that this is not a true mirrored man encounter. Most notably, the fact that there were only two figures rather than three. But, being that this phenomenon is brand new and relatively unknown, perhaps the rules we placed on the encounters are a bit too strict. Do we have to have three creepy guys moving in sync to officially be called mirrored man encounter? Are they allowed to drive old creepy cars. Of course, I do not have answers to any of these questions, but with older encounters like this coming to the surface, it may only be a matter of time until we do. Thanks again, Timothy, for submitting that story. And that's going to do it for this episode. 
Monsters Among Us is written and produced by me, Derek Hayes. A big thank you to Addie Lloyd for all her help in the social media realm. Music from tonight's episode was provided by Mayu and Nature World 1986. Thank you all for listening. Happy New Year, and until next week. It all starts with an invitation to experience Lexus. To connect with us. To see that no detail is too small. To be our special guest. It starts as an invitation to drive a Lexus vehicle. But it becomes an exceptional experience. The Invitation to Lexus sales event. Your invitation is always open. But the offers only last through March 31st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Click the banner to discover more.